Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Craig F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Tuesday, January 7th, 2020. Um, Today we're reading from the big book, and we're going to be on page 80, the fifth paragraph that begins, the chances are that we have, and we're reading one paragraph. Today's readers are Dana M. for the 12 Steps, Allison uh, L. for the 12 Traditions, uh, Vanita L. is our first reader, Nancy P., uh, second reader, the newcomer readers, Matt F., and the second hour host is Stacy K. Thank everybody for your service. Uh, the reference numbers for yesterday, uh, January 6th, uh, Monday, uh, the 7 a.m. meeting was 13,926, and the 10 a.m. meeting was 13,928. It's 13928. Um, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm now going to ask Dana M. to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Dana M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. These are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a greater power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. 
Okay. Um, now I'm going to ask Allison L. to read the 12 uh, traditions. Good morning. This is Allison L., recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. All right. Thank you very much. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. <coughs> Excuse me. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be, direct, be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then, pa then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, on page 80, the fifth paragraph, uh, and I'm going to ask uh, Vanita L. to begin reading. Vanita? The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Hi, this is Vanita. I'm a recovered um, compulsive overeater in Georgia. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people, but drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a 
secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. So reading this, I have to ask myself, how did food affect my um, my sexual relationships? And I've had a lot of relationship issues in my life. Um, I've had, I believe I have what I call an intimacy disorder. Um, I did come from a home that was emotionally and sexually definitely unhealthy and strange. Um, and we know there's a high correlation with eating disorders and, um, abuse, especially sexual abuse in the home. Even when I was totally not in recovery or on a personal growth path in my twenties, I was married. I found myself eating like late at night around 10 o'clock at night. And I suspected um, that there was something like I was trying to deaden myself because of fear about um, sex before bedtime. Um, Then I also would undereat because I wanted to be sexually attractive. And that fueled also my weight obsession. And I have a Weight obsession is a huge um, obsession of mine that I have gotten relief from, and I'm thrilled about that. I had um, affairs. I've, yeah, I definitely, I had my first affair when I was, I was married, but and I was like 18 as soon as I went to college. I had other affairs um, during that marriage. Yeah, I was definitely not emotionally sober. Or mentally clear and so obviously um, my behavior was not sober in all of my relationships including my um, sexual relationships I sought comfort in men the main sources of comfort for me were men and food and a lot of pain would come up in relationships plus I was carrying tremendous past pain and um, I was using food to um, suppress them I didn't get into recovery, though, for food till I was 50 years old. And then I only got involved with vision um, this summer, actually, when I moved to Georgia. And it's been a great um, increase in my um, sobriety. And I'm seeing my relationship issues much more clearly. Um, I'm not in a sexual relationship now, Um like I said, I've gotten a lot of recovery from weight obsession. But um, as most of us know, we are, tend to be isolators, which some people call anorexia, emotional, sexual, and social anorexia. And I definitely identify also with that term. So to me, food and sex um, and relationships and fear all go to get and resentments all come in a nice big bundle and I'm super grateful for the increased clarity I've had with my recent um, upgrade in um, abstinence and with that I will pass thank you Vanita for getting us started okay um, if you if we're going to encourage you if you haven't shared in the last couple of days to, to step forward if you have shared in the last couple of days ask you to take a step back and wait and give 
other people a chance. So, um, uh, who else would like to share on this paragraph? MG. Larry K. Nancy P. Fran M. Courtney M. All right, wait a minute. After Fran, who was that? Courtney M. Courtney. Sam S. I'm sorry? Sam S. Sam, all right. Thank you. All right. That's a pretty good lineup. Let's uh let's get going with that. I got Kim G, Larry K, and Nancy T, I think it is. Um No, P. It's in P. Pony. Oh, Nancy Nancy P. All right. Fran M, uh Courtney or Fran something, Courtney M and Sam. So, uh Kim, uh, let's go. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? You know, I want to step back from this um, example and just kind of look at that line. You know, we're so concerned about us, right? I, I, I need relief as opposed to looking at these amends to correct harm. And we, don't, we forget how we have affected people. I know for myself, being in and out of OA, in and out of relapse, why would anyone take me seriously? I'd make an amends and then I would relapse. I'd make an amends and I would relapse. I had no credibility and no believability. So we need to give people the space to see that we have changed. You know, I think to myself with, um, I've been at the same company for 19 years. I've been recovered for nine. So my boss has 10 years of my lunacy. And I can see even today, you know, we'll have a meeting and she'll give me the side eye wondering, is the Kim who was the, the gossip and the stirring the pot, is she going to still show up? So I need to be consistent in my behavior. I made my amends to her at a, um, um, a yearly review. But what I said I was going to do, have I followed through with that in the last nine years? Yes, I have. But still, she understands the insanity I have. I always think of this um, example of this woman that I worked with who had a daughter who was an alcoholic, so she asked me to help her out get a sponsor, and she came to me all in a panic because she had a post-it that said her daughter wanted to make amends to her. And I said, she's like, well, she's only, been, she's only had a sponsor for three months. Could this happen? I'm like, absolutely. I said, but why are you so scared, Dee? And she's like, it's the 26th. And I'm like, what does that mean? She goes, she's probably just once writ. And to see the panic on that woman's face and what her daughter had put her through, I thought to myself, I downplay what I have done to people. Why would they trust me? This is the importance of making amends versus I'm sorry. It is our demonstration. We need to earn back that credibility. We need to earn back that trust. We need to earn back that integrity. Because, you know, we're a generation of instant gratification. I made the amends. Forget about what I've done over the last 30 years. So we have to remember what this was saying. After a few years, heck, after a few decades with a compulsive overeater, a family member, a friend gets worn out, resentful, uncommunicative. How could they be anything else? And that's why we do this amend, and then we demonstrate through our behavior that we have changed. And with that, I pass.
All right, I had a little problem there, uh, a muting problem. There you go. Good morning, back everybody. Okay, next we have Larry K. followed by Nancy P. Larry. Hey, Craig. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, in my addiction, I <clears throat> I unknowingly became an expert in in uh, training my loved ones, including my partner, to live in a perpetual state of learned helplessness. That's where she she was. She learned to be helpless because it was, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, get out. No, don't leave. Get out, don't leave. You know, the first casualty of addiction is truth. And at first, you know, an addict like me merely denies the truth to himself. But addiction is like a, a malignant tumor. See, it's, it progressively expands and it grows and it invades more parts of my life, including my relationships, all the healthy tissue you know, gets invaded. And the addict begins to deny the truth to others as well as to himself. And he becomes a, a, a profligate liar in all matters related to the, the preservation of his addiction. There's no doubt that was the case in my life. I didn't know what a healthy relationship even looked like. I mean, to honesty, trust, respect, open communication. There was none of that. See, my behavior didn't lie. Food was my master. And the, and the food, frankly, did, consistently did its job. It was, un, it was unbelievably attractive. It was exciting. It never judged me, and food would never leave me. Food always got the top billing in my life. Every other relationship was secondary. And the addict in me lies about the addiction and begins to lie to others. And there's evasion and deception and manipulation and all different spinning of things to avoid distorting the truth, my truth, which was a lie. And the danger is I begin to see myself as exceptional. And, you know, when I'm armed with this tool of exceptionalism, that's like a a virtual open sesame for inviting problems into my life. And that's what happened. And if anyone gets in the way, you know, I would throw another hand grenade. And it it didn't take too long for them to, to, to try to avoid getting hit by the hand grenade. And at first they would use diplomacy and that didn't work. And then they would dive for cover. But eventually, because they have a survival instinct, they would instinct, they would leave. See, I, I always thought my disease, I it was, it was a victimless thing. My addiction to food, I was only hurting myself. Our, our disease leaves a well-worn trail of denial and regret. I am grateful these steps are a way out. With that, I pass. Thanks, Craig. All right. Thank you very much. Um, Next up, I'm going to have uh, Nancy P. uh, followed by Fran. Nancy? Hi, Craig. Thanks for letting me share. This is Nancy P. in West Newton, Massachusetts. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. That is true. And like others, I, um, you know, I couldn't see, you know, why my eating was affecting my um, my domestic relationships with my husband and my kids. And when I got, when I became recovered, I had to um, make amends for that. But I had said that I was sorry a million times and I didn't want to say that I was sorry again. I had to, I wanted to do something different. Um, As Kim was saying, I definitely had to demonstrate, but I had to get their attention first. And saying I'm sorry wasn't going to get attention from either my husband or either of my kids. 
And so um, what I did was I acknowledged everything that I did. I, you know, I, I, I said what I did, you know, I, um, you know, I told my husband, we were out to lunch and I told him um, what, um, what I did. And so, um, and I, so I acknowledged my behavior and I said that um, I hoped that he would forgive me and that I was going to do a better job and I hoped that he would help me. And, you know, in typical my husband fashion, he just said, I'll see what I can do. But that was really a good thing. And with my kids, I said, um, you know, I acknowledged my behavior. I was a yelling mother, you know. Um, I never, if I was in the kitchen or if I was elsewhere in the house and I needed something, I'd scream out their names. And I haven't done that. I forced myself to go and find them in the house, you know, or in the yard or wherever they are and ask them to do what I want or tell them to, you know, tell them what they need to know. And so by, in that way, I, um, I demonstrate how I've changed. And, um, you know, my husband and I have never been sort of an arguey kind of couple, but um, we don't argue. Um, but it still can be very uncomfortable when, especially for me, when things aren't going my way. But, you know, I just keep, you know, asking my higher power to help me and show me what to do. And I have to say that this stuff has become intuitive and a working part of my mind. I no longer or very rarely get so upset that I have to, you know, do a 10th step over my husband and his lack of towing the line. So, um, I um, I really have to say that this has been a wonderful um, experience and it's really renewed my relationships with my family. And the last thing that I'll say is, um, you know, no one has said, oh my God, you're so much better. I'm so happy. No one said that. But I do know that they find it easier to spend time with me now. And that's, um, that's a reward. So thanks for letting me share. All right. Thank you very much, Nancy. Next we have Fran. And she'll be followed by Courtney M. Fran? Hi, my name is Fran M. from New Jersey. Um, and I know when I was a compulsive overeater, I was very young and I was binging nonstop and I didn't pay attention to anybody or anything. And I, that was a very long time ago. And I, I really don't even think about it because I just had no... I didn't want to live. I didn't care if I ate people's stuff out of the refrigerator. I don't care if I dropped cigarette butts on the floor. I didn't take care of myself, and I acted the same way toward other people. And um, I've changed in that way, but um, I was humbled when I was listening to the special edition speaker this Sunday on this, you know, relevant to this chapter because I, I spoke about under-eating and being hungry all the time and, um, you know, how do you get past those moments when you know you have to feel full, which at this stage of my disease now is the thing that I'm most afraid of. And the speaker was so helpful because he said, um, well, just do an inventory. You know, where has your under-eating caused, um, you know, selfishness, fear, dishonesty? And boy, has it re- affected my relationships with others. Um, in my house, I, I would hide food. Um, 
I still do if I buy something special, whether it's in my food plan or not. I don't want anybody else to take it. And the reason I do that is because if you stay unnaturally hungry, then food just becomes super important in a way that the mind can't help. I mean, that's the allergy, that if a body is so hungry, nature takes over and food becomes the biggest priority and you can't control your actions. And that's why it's the same thing as overeating or people who are allergic to certain, you know, or or have find certain substances addictive. It's the same physiological thing as, you know, an alcoholic drinks alcohol, they can't control how they treat others. They don't have any possession of their mind anymore. And when I under-eat, I'm so hungry that I can't really pay attention to anybody else. And it's not my fault. That's what my body is doing to protect me. So um, my goal is to not be so hungry that I get taken out. And the mental twist is that I want to be taken out because it's so much easier to sit around and focus on when the next meal will happen than it is to focus on you know, like now I'm worried there's an earthquake in Puerto Rico. How's my daughter going to get there? She has a trip there and just all the things. And yet it's such a comfort. I keep having to remind myself it's such a comfort to face those things and deal with them rather than avoid them and bury them either in overeating or undereating or whatever it is we do that takes us out. So I'm not at all recovered yet, and um, but it's a new way to look at it, and looking at how it affects relationships really highlights all the damage that it does. So thanks for letting me share. All right. Thank you, for, uh, Fran. Next up, we'll have Courtney followed by Sam, and then we'll take a new list of names. Courtney? Hi. Um, thank you all so much for your service this morning. I'm I'm fairly new to a vision. I've been on the meetings now for about four weeks. And um, I just wanted to, to say on this particular paragraph, unfortunately, this hits really hard home with me. Um, I am only 44 years old, and I am on my fourth marriage. So has my addiction affected my relationships? Uh, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, I I have, you know, and, and I've been obese most of my adult life and struggling and in the food. And um, I, I'm only fairly new to, you know, um, to, to this program. And um, I definitely have been guilty of the, the exact type of behavior that they're describing this paragraph where the alcoholic goes looking for excitement other than alcohol in the nightclubs. Um, you know, I had affairs while I was married. I had, um, it was my, <clears throat> my way of escaping and continuing to, to numb out when the food, you know, wasn't giving me the validation that I was looking for. I went looking for validation from men and, um, looking for, you know, somebody to tell me I was attractive when I didn't feel that I was. Um, and, of course, that fades after a while, too, because you stop believing them because you don't believe yourself. So um, the it, it's crazy how that can all stem from that, that really it's not the food is the symptom of the 
um, the lack of, of faith in, in my higher power. The food is a symptom of me not wanting to take an honest look at myself and the food is a symptom of, of um, me trying desperately to get out of my own head. And um, I'm finding now in recovery and in, in following these steps and really truly working them that I have, uh, you know, I have a, a, a respite from that behavior and from feeling like I absolutely have to, you know, tear my way out of the house and get out and be uh, with somebody who understands or, or even just isolate and, and be with the food because the food always understands me, right? So um, it's just, I think this is a really surprisingly universal behavior of addicts, and I identify with it tremendously. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Okay, thank you, Courtney. Okay, next we have Sam, and then we'll take some more names. Sam? Hi, good morning. Thank you so much, um, Craig, for your service. Um, the sentence that I'm really... I'm drawn to today, and I just I just had to change the pronouns. Um, a woman so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if she is married to a loyal and courageous man who has literally gone through hell for her. Um, this sentence here really, um, I feel so like raw reading it because of the truth. Um, I looked up the word courageous, possessing or characterized by courage the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, and pain without fear or bravery. And, um, and yeah, my husband is a brave, brave guy. Um, he has survived. Um, he's been with me through my addiction, through the bottom, through recovery. Um, all of the dedication to diets, proclamations, oaths, tantrums, the money and the diet contradictions, walking on eggshells, listening and never speaking, being punished, hearing my hypocrisy, having um, sex used as a punishment. Um, and, you know, the truth is, and, and I do feel remorseful about it, but at the same time, I'm so grateful that I can see it now, that I'm not in the food and that I'm in the steps, is I really didn't expect a husband. I expected him to become a caretaker, a cheerleader, a life coach, a father, a therapist, a drill sergeant, diet support, a punching bag, a higher power, the enemy, uh, an emotional meteorologist, a mind reader, Santa Claus, an initiator, and then towards the end of uh, hitting bottom, a suicide prevention therapist. Um, these were all of the roles that I assigned to my husband, and he took them. Um, he took them on, and he tried his best, and the, the fact is that um, that's not his job, and it's not, I, of course, that would make any any husband not want to talk or have sex with someone who's so scary, you know, that acted like a monster when I was in the disease, because I had a diseased mind and heart, um, but I'm, you know, I'm working the steps, and this is kind of where I'm at right now, like, he's become the most important relationship in my life and and that's never been the case ever that anybody else would be more important than me um of course he's not more important than god um god is first and then the last thing i just wanted to share is you know my husband doesn't believe in 
um, faith in a higher power the way that I do with this program, but he certainly has faith in the love that our relationship can return to the way that it was in the early days. So um, I'm really grateful for what I heard about, you know, am I going to show up? Can I be consistent and believable? And can my amends be about what I do rather than what I say in all the I'm sorry's? Because he's heard a lot of I'm sorry's and he's said you're forgiven, but um, my I have to to live this new life with my actions and not my words. So just really glad to be here. And with that, I pass. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Sam. <clears throat> all right. And we're ready to take some more names. Who else would like Chris- to share on this paragraph? Christina. I need a B. Hold on. Leslie Christina. W. Uh, hold on, Leslie. We, I had Christina, and then there was two more. Tina S. Anita B. All right, I got Anita. Christina and Anita, and then I'm missing somebody there. Tina S. Okay, Tina. So I have Christina, Tina, Anita, and Leslie. Uh, Noreen D. Raquel and Noreen. All right, well, that's six. Let's go with that. Christina asked Tina, Anita, Leslie, Raquel, and Noreen. You'll have to fill me in on your last initials as we go. Christina, take us away. Thanks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for everyone on the line. Um, yeah, thank God for the pain and the horror of waking up to the good moral consciousness that I have today as a result of working these steps that I can do better today. When I think back, the unawareness of just flying by the seat of my pants on what I learned as a child and a baby and a young woman coming up, what I needed and what I used to make it through, Um, today the awareness, that's what I did to survive so I can forgive myself and I can work living amends every day with the people around me, not just with my husband, my new husband, my third husband, but um, the people everywhere, you know. When flirtations come my way, I know where to put those. I used to be so suspect to those, so affected, they would knock me over because my dad didn't pay attention to me. So that's what I went through life looking for, is a man to pay attention to me and acknowledge and give me validation. Um, But, you know, the pain of the food, the desperation, the never-ending black hole that I just couldn't seem to climb out of, it brought me to the healing and awareness uh, through these 12 steps. My first husband and I had horrific domestic problems. We were both addicts, so we both stepped out um, secretly. But God... (laughs) God put it in my path that I was going to have to be the one to come clean. And it was horrific to come clean with this man who was in denial, and I was in denial. But I spoke to a friend of mine, and she says, you're going to have to come clean, because the the proof was on the table, and he kept asking me about it, and I had to sit him down and tell him. Well, that was the first knife in the, call in, in the, in the coffin, but there was many more before that, actually. Uh, he was worn out. I was worn out. We were both resentful, uncommunicative, and guess what? There was a brick wall, a cement wall, that nobody could even take a sledgehammer and knock down. There was nowhere for us to go except eventual divorce. Just nobody was willing to climb over that brick wall or break it down. And and neither of us knew about any kind of recovery. So we both both felt lonely and sorry for ourselves. Um, 
and we were both remorseful. But today I don't have to feel that way anymore. And he's got a great new wife, and I have a great new husband. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm living, living amends. And my husband knows about my affairs with my first husband, and he often gets scared and says, Honey, don't be, you know, are you... Are you feeling like you want to be with other men? And it just breaks my heart because I said, no, baby, I learned. I learned that I'm a, the, the lessons I learned from all that, I'm taking to my grave, and I'm never going to be in that kind of a situation again. So thank God for this program. Thank God for what we're learning, and we can be, I'm going to close up, we can be vulnerable and honest on these lines and uncover and unbury these things so that we can heal. Thank you, I pass. Great. Thank you very much. Tina, you're up. Thanks so much, Craig. Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. Wow, I heard some really great shares. And uh, the woman that ended before the new uh, set of people to speak was just spot on for me. You know, I didn't look for a partner in my life. I liked it, liked it to talk about the domestic troubles. You know, I looked for somebody to take care of me, somebody to pay my bills, somebody to be the counselor, the whatever that I needed in my life, not somebody as an equal, that I could be there for them like they were there for me. And, you know, God is so good because he, he put all those people in my life that took that did take care of me, that did all that stuff was there for me. And I was not, you know, bottom line, you know, I was not good in any of those relationships. I, you know, had affairs, you know, I was in two and before I was out of one, all that stuff that I did, you know, and today I know that that was, and, and, and I've made amends for that, but that was the best that I could do at the time. I wasn't equipped to do much else. You know, and, um, you know, one of the things for my addiction, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater and, you know, I can diet the food plan to be 90 pounds, whatever that, you know, when food becomes that important in my life, I am not caring about people, places, things, nothing else in my life, you know, just I am so selfish and self-centered to the extreme, you know, what I look like and what you think about me period, you know, but the good news is today through the transformation that comes about through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous, I have become the person, more like the person God would have me be in a relationship. I am able to be, you know, loyal and true in the relationship I've been in for 18 years, you know, and not even thinking about, you know, going out on on her. You know, that is not who I am today. And that that was not who I ever wanted to be. So today, through the process and the psychic change, the transformation, and, and I always say that because that's the only thing that ever worked for me. You know, and so that's why I am here to talk about this. I am the person that my partner needs me to be. And she is for me. And, uh, and what a gift. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Tina. Okay, next we have Anita B. Anita, I think it is B. Yep, Anita B. here from New Jersey. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for your service. So grateful to be on the line this morning and to uh, have the grand awareness that, you know, I always struggled with this part of the inventory and amends with the sex inventory and all. But today... I've connected completely because to me, it's all about my selfishness. You know, the food, uh, my kids, my husband, my relationships, it's all about selfishness. It's what anybody could do for me. And it didn't matter if I was doing good to them or bad to them because I was the most important thing. So I never considered anybody else. No wonder, no wonder relationships are so hard for me. 
no wonder it was so hard for me to find my part uh, to see where I needed to make amends because I couldn't get past me. Uh, I'm grateful today um, to be listening today and to learn because that's my goal, to learn about how I react, to learn about me so that I can change and be of more service to God and others. And I'm grateful today, grateful that this morning I asked God to divorce me from that kind of thinking, from that selfishness, divorce me from that so that I can see clearer today. So uh, I'm hoping for a great day and I wish you all a great day. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Anita. Okay, next we have Leslie. Uh, She'll be followed by Raquel. Leslie. Hey, Craig. Thanks for your service this morning. Thanks, everybody. This is Leslie W. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee, and I really just wanted to jump in on this part. Um, I, too, would like to focus on the line. Years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out. You know, my husband spent years with me in this disease, and he got so worn out resentful and uncommunicative and I could add a lot of other adjectives to that um you know I I faithfully went to OA meetings every single week for six years and did not work through all the steps could not stay abstinent it was only until I found a vision for you and that in 2016 that I could finally understand um, what I was up against and heard the hope that I needed to hear to propel me on towards recovery. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I really haven't been abstinent and recovered all that long you know it's been a few years and I think to myself sometimes I look to him I look to my husband for validation approval praise and I get frustrated if he doesn't give me the response that I desire what does that say about me A, that I'm going to the wrong person for the wrong thing. B, um, I've lost sight of this this reality, this sentence here. I I have to remember, I need to tape this, I need to tape this sentence to my mirror and look at it and remember the damage that I did and trust and be patient and be consistent. You know, I'm going to use that word that Kim used because that is so important. I was so I was so consistently inconsistent throughout these years of my disease. The promises, the diets. Oh my god, I was a I was a moving target. And no wonder he was frustrated. No wonder he still looks at me with one eye open. Skeptical, wondering, hmm, is this Leslie going to stay? You know, is or is the old Leslie going to come back out and rear her ugly head? So 
Um, I'm grateful for the reminder this morning that I need to continue to do this work. I need to continue to be consistent. And I need to continue to be patient and allow people to have their feelings. He's allowed to have those feelings. And I honor that. And so with that, um, I think I'm going to pass. Thanks, Craig. Great. Thanks, Leslie. Okay, Raquel, and Raquel will be followed by Noreen. Uh, Raquel? Hello. Hi, Craig. Good to hear you. Thank you for your service. And uh, thank you for all my family being there. Boy, this is heavy stuff, but it has to be done. And reading this paragraph sends me back to other things in the book which are so so relevant and so good. Um, on, on page 61, where it says um, about the varied trades in trying to make this arrangement, our actor can be sometimes quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, considerate patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But, as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. So, but, um, when I look back, and, I, and I've been by myself now uh, for the last uh, 22 years, and it's enough for me to just handle what's going on inside me than to have a partner, but I think mostly my first husband for 15 years, the father of my four children, and how hard it was for him with my mood swings and all that, uh, and, and with, the, with the addiction and the very traits, with not knowing whom you're going to meet the next day. Um, he was my first parent, or maybe my parent, and I thought that his brain is in straight line with God's brain, and I worshipped him, and I depended on him, and I was like, in step four it says, no, it says how frequently we see a frightened human being determined to depend completely upon a stronger person for guidance and protection. This week, one failing to meet life's responsibilities with his own resources never grows up. Disillusionment and helplessness are his last. In time, all his protectors either flee or die, and he's once more left alone and afraid. So the very traits are that on one hand, I was totally dependent on him, and on the other hand, I was the breadwinner because I knew how to work. I had strong work ethics, and I, and I loved my work, and I, but, but, but I was a child, you know. He would look for the check in my purse. Uh, he was out of work many times, and, and he, he was looking for so he can pay the bills and everything. He was not addicted. But he was too smart for every job, so in three weeks he was out. But he would look for my, in my person once he even couldn't find the check. Yes, didn't they give you a check this week in Flint, Michigan? They used to, in that school, they used to give a check every week. I said, yeah, she did hand me something. Well, he went to the school and found the check crumpled in the waste uh, paper basket because it really didn't mean anything to me. I was not responsible that way, and I, I, I just was a piece of paper that disturbed me. But he had to do all the nitty-gritty of holding a household together. No wonder he got tired, 
and and you know there's so much to say and I made my amends and it's many years ago and now he's in big trouble and I feel like I have to make amends again and somehow try to be to be helpful uh, he's he's in America and I'm here but he did so much for the state to find some help for him after real health issues but this just looking at this yes yes I hear it and looking back and seeing you know my part again with even clearer mind than ever thank you all for being there and uh, and I pass thanks Raquel okay next we have Noreen and then if we have time we'll take a couple more names Noreen uh, hi Craig hi it's uh, Noreen G ringing from Ireland uh, thanks for your service um, yeah, the shares today were so, so helpful, uh, and I can really identify um, using my husband as my higher power, um, relying on him for everything that wasn't his job. Uh, one of the shares there was listing out uh, all the roles that their husband played, and that's that was exactly me. Um, so, and I really like the share about um, we have to show it's not just the amends, the once off. You have to do it consistently and make a doubt about anyone. So I have to remember that because um, I do forget, as as one of the chairs was saying, I forget the damage. I don't think about the other side. So they're great reminders. And uh, thanks a million. And I've gotten so much from the last couple of weeks from amends. And I've made an amends myself this morning. Just one happened just now, uh, just a couple of hours ago. And then one that was long term and another one that was long term that only came up from listening to vision, uh, a long term amends. So that it was my higher power. I didn't even see it myself that there needed to be amends with with a past job. Um, I'm so grateful and I'm getting such recovery from it. So um, thanks to everybody sharing on the line and everybody listening. And I pass. Thanks very much, Craig. All right, Noreen. Thank you. <clears throat> we have time for one, maybe two more shares. Who'd like to take this? Uh-huh. Hi, yes, this is yes. Vivian H. in North Carolina. All right, I have Vivian and Leon. That's probably going to do it. Go ahead, Liz, Vivian. Hi. Um, I am just calling about the page 80 and the part about the, you know, unfaithfulness and um, I'm on my fourth marriage, and my life had been a total wreck. Um, before I I actually um, found my higher power, the Lord, I call God, when I was 23 years old. And my father was an alcoholic, and he was verbally abusive to me and he also was addicted to porn and he watched 24-7 pornography even after I was grown and said a lot of hurtful things and I went to find acceptance with men and all of this I can really relate to and my mother you know being so resentful toward him and we all resented him because of the way he was and you know drank his money away and so forth but you know when I got 
older and married, um, I was, the marriage vows, I didn't really trust the men that I married, and I chose people like my father. So needless to say, it did not work. The marriages did not work. But now um, I've been married 37 years, and my husband is absolutely wonderful. And, of course, I found him in church, and that's where I tell everybody they should go to find a husband. <laughs> but anyway, my um, my husband is great, and he puts up with a lot because of the alcoholic thinking and the, you know, the way that it twists your behavior and your lack of trust, what it did to me. And I quit the drugs and the alcohol at 23, but the food was the addiction, and I came into OA about a year ago realizing that I was totally, my life was unmanageable. I did not want to be another pound heavier. I was just at the wit's end and said, I've got to deal with this. I had been attending the steps, um, you know, the vision, of not a live meeting for a year and a half. And I ended up um, getting a sponsor just two weeks ago. So I'm very grateful for that. And one that has suffered just like I have. And it's almost like God put two like minded people together and it was really good and I think it was God's timing for me but I've been going around making amends and it's been very freeing so um, I pass with that and thank you for being there Thanks Vivian Okay Leon you're going to take us out Good morning Leon B. Grateful to be covered um, since I South Carolina and I heard a lot of things this morning um, and I kind of got down on myself a little bit um, especially about, you know, after being after years with a, an alcoholic wife that's worn out resentful and not to reach the two. Um, I've been nearly two years now in the program and I have not been in, been the best in, in the home and you know, my wife probably took some bipolar times because um one time apologizing next time I could be a little snappy. Um if I'm truthful I could be a, I could be really snappy. You know, and I get really, really down on myself because I'm trying so hard to um, to live up to my ideals as a as a husband. Um, but then I started thinking to myself that I am still forever grateful for these steps because I have a map, I have a road, I have a pathway that I can follow that has changed me immensely, especially you know in in my home because I was a husband that checked out. I would come home and check out and ignore the fact that I have these beautiful children because all I wanted to do is sit and eat, you know. And now I do find myself more involved, much more involved. Even I've totally relieved my wife of, you know, I get the breakfast prepared for the children. I get them up in the morning. I get them dressed. I get them in the car. I get them off the school. And I let her have her morning. She's completely free. And that's something that I celebrate that. Yeah, I just thought about that today. I said, you know, that's an accomplishment. I am moving in the right direction. And these steps are working on me. And as long as I can remember to work these steps, the, the, the grace of God will work on me and change me. And I am, I will flower and bloom. And I will be my, the man that I know that my power wants me to be. Only if I'm saying, not my will, but thy will. And um, I'm just so grateful for all the shares this morning that have placed in these All right, Leon, thank you. All right. Thanks to everybody who shared. 
Uh, please join us in the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. Today's share ID is 13935. Um, and that's for today's date is uh, January 7, 2020. We're now going to close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will uh, Allison L. Um, I think it's Nancy P. Uh, Nancy P. Oh yeah, God, I skipped. Nancy P. Well, Nancy, thank you very much. Well, Nancy P. Please read. From a vision for you, our book is meant to be suggestive only through keep you until then. Thanks, Nancy. Hi, thanks for letting me do service. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.